Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me at the end of the day filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned. But because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives. It's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation, apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome back, everybody. Where we left Stephanie last, she was at a crossroads in her relationship with her husband and making a decision about how she was going to move forward. So we're going to jump back into her story about the tree. And we're midway here. So if this is your first time hearing Stephanie's story, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to part one of this series before jumping into today's episode so that you have the full picture. Here we go. In that moment, I made an absolute final decision that I was going to dig down deep and I was, and I was, go, I was going to do this. And when I did that, I knew that I was placing like a huge bet. I was putting all my chips. I was putting, I was putting my reputation. I was putting my marriage, my, the life of my children, everything that I had built to that, to that moment. I put all those chips in the middle of the table. And I know that for people looking at that bet are going, you're crazy. You don't have to do that. But what I knew and what they didn't understand is that I, I knew I had the winning hand. I knew that it wasn't just me that was going to try to do this, but that I truly believed that God could do this. I truly believed that what was blocking Doug from being able to receive my love, that, that there was something that could be done about that. 
And I, I've never made the connection before, but I think the reason I had so much confidence, the reason that I was willing to put all my chips on black and bet everything I had was in part because of the work that we had been able to do for Lucas. Because I couldn't get my love through to him either at one point. And I had seen that by doing the right things, that we, I could reach him and that, that we could get through. And so in knowing that it was possible and having seen it for my son, his was, was trauma. I had no idea what, what was, was blocking Doug, but there was this confidence in me that the reason God was saying, if you want to stay, I'm, I'm going to do this with you was because it was possible for that wall to go away. And that if Doug stayed, he would have to do the work to, to break it through. And that there was a life that was worth fighting for, a love that was worth fighting for, a family that was worth fighting for. And I just, I didn't see it as a crazy bet. I didn't see it as ridiculous. I saw it as the, the best move I had was to go for it and to, and to see what we could do. So we went for it. And it wasn't easy. Yeah, There was so much work ahead, but Doug was committed to getting an answer for what it was that was standing in the way of him being able to receive the love that had been offered him. And it was going to be a lot of work and it was going to come down one brick at a time. And some of those bricks were going to be linked with mortar that was so thick and so hard and so steadfast he would have to chip away at that to bring it down one brick at a time and I knew that the love that I had given him was was different and better and more pure than anything else that had ever come from that affair so I really believed that we had something worth fighting for and at that point the weight that we had in waiting for the adoption to come through became a blessing because every month that we didn't have to go to China and go get her was another month that our family could rebuild, that another brick could come down off that wall. And we became a completely different family than who we were when we started this adoption journey. The work that God had wanted to do to make us the parents that she would need, the family that could would have the capacity to love her and to give her a home that was safe and loving and honest, that work was being done. And I knew that now the timing was all about getting us to like the best family we could be before she could come. Really ready. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you thought you were ready when you applied. And think about that. If she had come in the 10 months that we'd originally planned, she would have come before the affair came out. And I would have had an infant that I'm trying to care for that's got her own package of stuff that she needs me to be there for emotionally. And I would have had to go through all of this with all of that at the same time. I don't know that I could have made, had the clarity that I did if I had a baby to think of in the middle of this. I, it was at that moment that you just realize it's a God moment where you go, boy, again, just like I, I didn't, I couldn't see you in the penny story and I was frustrated by why things happened the way they did. I was again frustrated. Why is this taking so long to get this baby? But at that moment on that floor, thinking my life was in pieces, I'm going, 
I get now it. it makes sense. I get it. We had work that I didn't even know we needed to do to get to this baby. And and you're going to do this work with us. You're going to make sure this gets done because you already know her. You know where she is. That's all taken care of. We got to do this right now. And the baby will come when the baby's supposed to come. And it was a tremendous weight off my shoulders to know that we had time. Time to heal. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blessing. And what was so special about the timing of everything was that it was actually on my birthday that we got to go to the adoption agency to receive our folder. And so my gift was to be able to open the folder and see my baby girl's face for the first time. You can't top that. No, you can't. Best birthday ever. Yeah. Where where were you and your husband in your process of healing by the time mm-hmm. you opened that folder? Because yeah. for, I mean, in our conversation, we made a really like quick, Big leap. Mm-hmm. quick jump in yeah. time, right? Yeah. So what was the time lapse being on the floor of your bedroom and yeah. mentally in your mind's eye playing that movie and opening that folder? It was a year, almost to the day of time that had passed. In, in true Stephanie fashion, I guess is the way you would put it. Um, I wasn't going to let this go. Um, I had I had questions. We needed to solve problems. We needed to get messy in our lives and, and unpack this and find the nuggets and start sticking some things to my Velcro that we could take with us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care how many hours a day that took. I didn't care how painful some of those conversations were to hear. It was hard. There was definitely times where what I was processing was unbearable, but I stayed. I kept listening. I kept unpacking. I kept asking questions. I kept owning my own stuff and I kept working. I'm sure for my husband, there were times that he's like, you know, Stephanie, do you really want to keep going with this? Aren't you tired? And there were times, I mean, where I really was like just physically exhausted. Yeah. I mean, your whole how life much was work probably you're putting in tiring this. at yeah. that time. I mean, yeah. if you think about, you know, it sounds like you guys were still in the wake of diabetes. That probably yeah. was not like perfectly tied up nope. with a bow on it. You had a major loss in the death of your mom. Yeah. The strain on the marriage. Yeah. Well, and, and to the- add to that and what leads us to the tree is that with my husband's work, he had to quit his job in order to to salvage this family. There was no way that he could stay at his job uh, and we could move forward. And so our income went from what we were both making to my part-time salary. And that was it. And we had savings that we started uh, diving into and, and eating up in order to make things work because for about a three-month period, our job, the way I put it to Doug, is your one and only job is for us to fix this. You going to work eight hours a day does nothing to fix us. So we're going to work at this. This is our job right now. And I knew that financially that was going to be a strain on us, but Honestly, I didn't care. 
<laughs> I had more important things to worry about. Again, success is not having a big bank account. It's not about having what the Joneses have. I didn't give a... When it came down to my life was in pieces and I was sitting on my my bedroom floor, I didn't care about any of those things. I had all those things. I was keeping up with the Joneses fine. I was living in a, in my dream house. We were happy as could be. And guess what? That did not prevent me from being betrayed from my husband and my kids getting diseases and my mother dying didn't get didn't protect me from any of those things. You weren't spared anything. And those things didn't make me feel any happier about those things. They're just stuff. So if it cost me all or some of my stuff to get my life figured out, that was success to me. I didn't care about the material things in that moment. I wanted my life back. And what I realized was my life was not my things. My life was trust, love, honesty, peace, joy. And if I had those things, I'd have it all. Because I was bankrupt when it came to those things at that moment. Yeah. I was unsuccessful <laughs> at that moment. But to be successful, if I could just get those things back, I was going to be okay. But it did have a financial toll on us. And we had to uh, end up using our savings to pay for the adoption because we weren't, we were no longer building um, additional savings towards the adoption because that revenue just wasn't there anymore to, to put away. So we had to take a big hit to our savings to go through with the adoption. Again, at that crossroads, people thinking it's silly. You know, you guys have, you guys have been through an, an affair. You know, you don't know what your marriage is going to look like in 10 years. Don't you think it's time for you to just walk away from this adoption thing? And now you're going to spend all this money. Don't you think it's just time again, them trying to convince me that I'm the silly school girl that should just do what's sensible. Mm -hmm. And I just stood my ground. This is my child before my mother died. She told me she saw her Hmm. She belongs here. I'm not giving up on her. I'm not giving up on us. I'm not settling for a life that is expected to break again by everybody else because I don't believe that. I haven't just bandaged a broken marriage and called it a marriage again. We did surgery on this sucker. Hmm. We fused bones back together. Our marriage is full of metal plates and screws, not bandages and super glue. We are Serious building rehab. solid re restructuring here. Mm -hmm. We will stand the test of time. I don't care if you can see that outside world. I know the work we've done. I know the surgeries I've gone through. I went through so much of it that I literally decided, and I was never a fan, that I wanted a tattoo. And the tattoo that I decided that I wanted, I was it was funny, I was at the post office one day, I was starting to feel like I needed a scar. I had gone through so much. We had worked so hard. I had we had done surgery to the very core of ourselves and built ourselves back up and brought these two new people to the marriage and rebuilt it completely. But it had been deeply, deeply painful and, and tiring. And it was like, I've got to have a scar. I mean, people can't see it, but like 
it happened. Like yeah. this happened to me. And somewhere there needs to be something that says this happened. This, it's you're right, Stephanie. It really happened. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't something you made bigger than it was. It was as big as you you remember it. And so I was at the post office and I saw this like Celtic heart for Valentine's that year. And I looked at it and I was like, that's it. I need a, a heart like that. And I know right where I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it on the back of my left hip because that's where I'll carry Kate when I carry my daughter, when she gets home. And what that heart means, what I'm seeing on that stupid little stamp is something that's just speaking loud and clear. Love wins. And that has that's my scar. Love wins. The world tried to take everything from me. The enemy of my soul tried to beat us to our cores and break us. Yeah. All of our friends and family were convinced all was lost and hopeless to, to salvage. Somebody that I knew had tried to take my life, take my husband. And I had been threatened on all sides. And this little stamp was just telling me, love wins. And so I went ahead and I got that tattoo a few months later. And I did get to uh, finally and eventually carry Kate on that, on that hip and have her leg wrap around to the backside of my hip and know that, that, she, that she was resting exactly where she had always meant to be. So beautiful. So it was not easy. The financial burden on our family was more than I had hoped it would be. It was more than I had thought it would be. And we did reach a point in 2010. Um, we had had Kate for almost two years at that point. And financially, we just were not rebounding. And the markets had um, done additional damage to our savings by then. And it was time that we needed, we had to move. We, it was a time in the market that you shouldn't move because home property values were so down that we were upside down in the house. But we were at a point where we had tried options to save it. Actually, the banks kind of screwed some things up with that. And we had reached a point where short sale or foreclosure was our only option. And that was really hard for my husband because like you ask about what success for a, a, for a man that's providing mm -hmm. and not being able to provide to keep our home and having to walk away from it and go into even more financial harm made him feel not successful. It was woven with the affair. It was woven with all the work and therapy that he had needed to deal with his issues. I, it was just loss at every look with every stitch that he saw on the tapestry it was just loss and blame. It was a very, very hard time. And luckily, we were at a place where we were doing very well for each other. And I was able to love him in that and not let him go to shame with that. Because guilt can so easily flip and turn to shame. And in shame, you push people away. You go to dark places. And that wasn't going to be good for our marriage. I, my love could get through before it went there and I could love him and comfort him in his guilt. And we could work with that and we could avoid shame.
and we did end up moving. We ended up in a rental property. We it, everything ended up good. Our kids ended up, you know, surviving all of that just like kids do, so resilient. God really started blessing us and I really think that part of that was that we had held on to the house longer than we needed to. Mm. I think in not wanting to make Doug have to deal with the loss of it. And also you do want to like say show face, you know, you do want to say, Hey, everything happened, but look, we're still standing and being in our house to the outside world that had never got it anyway. It was the only thing that really showed them that we're doing okay is that we we're still here. Right. And we were going to leave. And I thought they're going to think we're going to go off into the world. And Oh, I wonder if the Hermans are still together. And that just bothered me that they would, that they would think that, Oh, I wonder if they're still together. Because, yes, I want to scream to the whole world, yes, we are. Yeah. And you're fools if you think we won't be. But leaving was like letting go and, and trusting to a new level. That leaving didn't mean losing. It just meant getting gaining something else. For Doug, too, or mostly for you? For, for both of us, but not for him at first. He was behind you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was harder for him. And he was very much about, hey, we got to get out of rental. We got to get back in a house, you know, as soon as we can. Well, the federal government tells you, you know, three years before you can even try and really seven before your credit's repaired. So you look at that and you go, for me, financial background with my family, I'm going, you know, all I've ever known of something like this happening is you just don't come back from financial disasters like this. You know, you just never fully recover. But what was amazing was things were just happening. We we thought that we were way upside down in our taxes, only to find out that for three years there had been an error how our investments were reporting our taxes on the report. And our accountant one day just said, you know what, I just caught this error and this number should be on a totally different line. So you don't owe any money. You actually get back money. And we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars, a huge swing from you owe tens of thousands to, oh, actually, they owe you tens of thousands. Oh, my gosh. So, like God saying, you know that savings account you were so worried about? You know that? Here you go. Yeah, got it. And and knowing that, hey, remember I made I told you I didn't break my vow to you, Stephanie. I told you that if you did this, that I'd be doing it with you. And it was just like... Where we weren't even trying to figure out back taxes. And that makes no sense. Right. And somehow it trickles into a blessing for you. Right. And not not too soon and not too late. You know, not when we would have used it to save the house. Right. When we would have done something to change our course. But after we were willing to, to go the direction that we were and get ourselves to a new house, God says, guess what? Don't worry. The rest is on me. And I just needed you to make enough of a move that I could do something really spectacular. And we had to stay there for three years. We were really, our credit and everything just bound us there for three years. But what came in those three years was new friends, Kate uh, growing up, becoming a preschooler, and Brianna going on to thrive in high school and finish school. Lucas making great friends in his new high school, which was a tremendous benefit for him to be at his new school. It just night and day between the student that he was 
before we moved. So, so many things that were great for them and great for our family. And then it came time. We needed to move. We really wanted to buy. But we were we were still in a credit crisis. Um, we were actually at two years and four months. So not quite to three. Right, when our lease was up. So we were going to either have to move and go month to month somewhere with our kids and all our stuff in storage, or something big was going to have to happen. And I just kept going back to that promise. I was like, God, I'm kind of calling in my bet a little bit. I feel like you're getting ready to talk about a penny. I'm talking about, well, <laughs> not a penny, but I'm about to talk. Finally, I'm sure your, your listeners are like, is there a tree in here somewhere? <laughs> and yes, we're getting really close because um, what ended up happening was we decided to look at homes anyway. And now the market had completely changed. Now the market was on an upswing. People's homes were selling quickly mm-hmm. above asking price. Mm-hmm. And it, that was just starting to happen. Like open houses were like the open house would come. Yeah, it's listed. Offers it's gone. would come. Gone. Yeah. Um, we were starting to look and we weren't excited about anything. And we had decided just one night to dream. And we're like, we want a house with a pool. And it just so happened that a house was on the market with a pool. And we thought it's like really close to our house really close to our rental house. So I said, you know what I want to do, Doug, tomorrow? I just want to go look at it. I know it's crazy, and I, I, I know the timing is bad, and I, I realize that we can't get a loan for this house for, for four more months, but I just want to go look at it. Um, so I'm going to call call our realtor, try to set something up in the next week. And that next morning, Doug had to leave on a trip, and the girls and I were heading to church. It was a Sunday. And as we turned out of the neighborhood, I, I was going to drive in the direction of that house, but that I was only driving that way because I was driving to church. But as we're driving down the road, I keep seeing open house signs. And I was like, I think that, that might leads be into, I think that leads into that neighborhood. Like, let's go see the neighborhood. And so I'm like, I'm just going to follow these signs. And the signs led to that house. And I said, guys, do you want to go in and look? This is the one that has a pool. Oh, my girls are like, yes, 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 mommy, let's go look at it. <laughs> so we ran, we, we walked inside and, and Bree and Kate, you know, you, op- you walk in, you go right into the living room area and you get those, you start to view the pool from the window and the girls are like, mommy, let's go in the backyard. Let's start in the backyard. So off we go and, oh, they see the pool. And of course, you know, before they even look at the rest of the house, they're like, we want this yeah, house. Everyone's we want in this heaven. house. There's like no, yeah. yeah. And what's great about this house is that our, our kids had been living in our dream home, a brand new huge, fancy schmancy house. That's what they were used to. And that was what my husband had felt. That's what I've got to get them back to. You know, that will be success for us when our kids have back, you know, the lifestyle they're used to. Mm -hmm. And I never bought into that because again, we go back to, I define success very differently. Like I don't see it that way. And I kept encouraging him, you know, Hey, success is very different than that. We don't, I, I don't know that that's what they need. We have to keep our hearts open to what happiness looks and contentment looks like for our lives. Once that wall came down, contentment became something that he had to learn for the first time in his life. He had never had contentment before because he had never had peace enough with himself to be content before. And 
So as his wife, I'm trying to show him the joy that comes with contentment. I think there's Bring so many him. people who think you're speaking a foreign language right now. Yeah. I mean, I hate yeah. to say that as no. a detour, but I think so many people, that contentment piece is, and missing piece is very... Uh, I was I used peace in two different ways because I was yeah. saying contentment, peace, P-I-E-C-E, yeah. and peace, P-E-A-C-E. Yes. I think is so elusive in our... In our culture, in, yeah. our, in the world. I mean, we just, we, we've gotten it all wrong. We think that success that equals getting everything that we think we should have. Or that we want. Or that we want is going to lead to contentment. But you never, like I had described before, it's always, well, after the next thing, that's when I'll feel successful. That's when I'll start to feel content. And it is stuffed rabbit on a stick that you're going to chase around a track for the rest of your life and you're never going to get the rabbit. And even if you get the rabbit, you're going to find out it's a stuffed ball of fur that has no value. It was a lie. But true contentment is achievable. True contentment does bring peace. True contentment brings you joy in the in where you are and in the and in the present and in the right things. So you can actually savor it and see it, like take it in. And that's the hard part about the way I was watching my husband live for so long was I was like, you're not enjoying the fruit of anything you do. It's been a real challenge. And like you said, sometimes a foreign language with him. And sometimes I know I I frustrate him because his fear is that then what comes is not contentment, but settling. Yeah, like a complacency. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I settle for things. You know, I hope that what your listeners are hearing out of me is that the last thing I do is settle. I don't settle. I want life to the full. I want to feel it. I want to find the nuggets. I want to cherish them. I want to own them. I want I want them to to keep coming with me. And and I want all of life. You want it to land on your yeah. velcro. Yes. And I and I'm not going to do this aimlessly. I'm not going to be the dog running the track because I already know that thing is fake. So, I'm not going to run aimlessly after a fake prize. I'm actually going to find my prizes right where I am. I'm going to cherish every one of them. And that's what contentment is to me. It's not about settling. So we're in this house, and it is, it's not glorious. It's in an older neighborhood. It's an older home. It's, the house with the pool. Yeah, the house the, with the, the pool. The open house house. Yes. Okay. So it's nothing fancy. It needs a lot of work. It has work, a pool. What are you talking about? But it has about? a pool in the backyard. <laughs> and what it had was I saw us there. It, fo- it would focus us on the things that matter. We'd be together. We would laugh in that backyard and swim. We would teach Kate to swim in that pool. The kids would be home with their friends coming over, and they'd be with us. They wouldn't be off at their friends' houses or in their rooms playing video games. We will do life here together in this place. This is a, a house we could make a home like that. But you can't because you are only two years and four months in. Right. So what's the point? Well, I decided that it was supposed to be our home. (laughs) So I asked the realtor, what do we need to do? 
And he said, well, we do expect offers today. And I said, well, we do expect offers from the open house today. And I, I said, and how does this work? What's the earnest money that you're asking? And so he told me what that was. And, and I, I left there going, I need to be the first offer they receive tomorrow morning. And I am writing a check. God, do you hear that? I'm writing a check. And I know that, that this check, there's money in the bank for it. That's going to be no miracle. The miracle is Because gonna, the tax money right, was there. Right, right. Okay. So the earnest money. No problem. A couple thousand dollars, right? That's no worry at all. I can, I can write that check. But I know that I have to have a mortgage loan for this house. Which ties in with the credit and right. all of that. Right. Yeah. And that there, it wasn't going to happen for another um, eight months. No, five months. For another five months. We were two years, seven months in. So I just decided it, it had to be our house. So I would take the first step and we would figure out the rest. So I called Doug and told him what I wanted to do. And he's like, you're crazy. And I said, we just have to, I, we have to try. I have an idea. <laughs> and I'm going to talk to our realtor about this, and I just want you to ride this with me. It's crazy, but I want to try something. And he's like, okay, but I do want to know what you want to try. And I said, I'll tell you when you get home from your trip. So I called Tracy that day and said, hey, I want to do this. She's like, um, I haven't even seen the house. Do you want me to Is Tracy look the at realtor? It? Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, look. Um, whatever we have to do to get the contract done, I need to meet you and sign it, I'm sure. If you want, we can call and see if you can get it showing first thing tomorrow morning. But, like, I want this on their desk. So I need it all written up and bring it, and I'll sign it when we when, when we meet. And she's like, okay. So she, <laughs> she met me at the house, and I could tell she's just kind of wide-eyed, like, you are a crazy woman right now. She thought you were nuts, too. What are you doing? Like, the, you know you're going to lose this earnest money if you can't work this deal out. And I'm like, I have an idea. I know it's going to sound crazy. I'll tell you, both you and Doug about it. Come over to the house when he gets home from his trip um, later today. We'll sit down. We'll, we'll talk about it. But please do this. Get this in as fast as you can. So she gets it in. And by noon that day, we were told that our offer was accepted. Okay, so connect the dots. Yeah. So This is nuts. Yes, it was nuts. But what my idea was is I said what we're going to do is we are going to ask for a meeting with the owners and their realtor. And I'm going to ask them to let us rent the house for the months that we need to rent it. We'll go ahead and put down our down payment on the house on the front end and rent for for the five months, and then we'll be able to go through with the loan, the close of the loan. They're like, Stephanie, no one's going to go for that in this market. They can say no to your offer, and they probably have two offers waiting. They can just go to the next Which are offer. probably above asking price, too, considering the market yeah. in Colorado at that yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, so they're like, hey, this isn't going to work. And I said, you know what? I'm asking God to give us favor with those people before we meet with them. And I want to try this. I believe we should try this because I believe this should be our house. Now, my husband hadn't even seen the house yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, fine, you're crazy, but Tracy, schedule her meeting. I mean, she's going to find out quick that people don't do this, but 
schedule a meeting. And so I really felt like God said, just ask me, just ask me. And I was like, favor, I need these people to want to give us favor. And so we went over to the house. We explained, we need to sit down and we, we need to, we have a, we have a special request of you. This is very much out of the box. We need to ask you um, to do this in an unconventional way. So when we had framed it that way, the owner's wife had actually asked her dad to come to the meeting because they didn't know what we were. What gonna were you going to say? Up. They yeah. had no idea what. Quite it was. the business transaction, right? Maybe. So everybody comes in, going, "What? It could possibly be on your mind. Like, what is this?" So everybody's a little uncomfortable, and um, the owner of the house said, "Hey." has your husband even seen the house yet? And I said, no. He goes, well, <laughs> should we at least show him around a little bit? And Doug said, you know, how about at least I take a look in the backyard? I've been hearing, I, they, I, about I, I know, I know my kids want me to at least see the pool. So they went back there and Doug was kind of trying to be the, the husband. He's very handy. So he wanted to take a look at pool equipment and the, the, the function of the pool, make sure it was sound. Cause that's a big investment yeah. to fix. Right. So, um, you know, it was already open and, and running and looking beautiful. And so he was checking out all of that. And the homeowner seemed to be a little like nosy about like, what was Doug, you know, looking at, did he even know what he was looking at? And so I wanted to distract him. And so I said, you know, can you give me a little um, information on the trees back here? Because there's a lot of trees in this yard. There's, there was a total of four trees. And he goes, yeah, this one is a sour cherry tree. And this one's a sweet cherry tree. And this one's a pear tree. Um, we just planted it a few years ago. And then that, that's, a, that's a grafted apple tree. Have you ever heard of a grafted apple tree? It was another penny moment in my life where I literally stopped my tracks and I knew that I was experiencing a sacred moment where God was giving me a tangible miracle. And I couldn't hardly speak and my eyes swelled up with tears and the poor homeowner who's just shooting bull with <laughs> me in the backyard yeah. is like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. And yes, I know what a grafted apple tree is. And... What your listeners don't know is that when we adopted Kate, we had her dedicated. And the pastor that dedicated her was an amazing man who always took the time to research the family story and make each and every baby dedication personal. And so when he, we had asked him to dedicate Kate, he had gone through and researched the province where she was from in China and had learned that they were famous for the um, apples that they export. And what makes their apples so unique and delicious is that they graft their apple trees together. So they take a branch from one breed of apple and they take that branch and they cut it off of one tree and they actually graft it to another tree and they hold it together until that branch grows into this this other tree mm -hmm. and it becomes one tree that produces A multiple apple. fruit multiple fruits you know one different types of apples and 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 a whole new unique type blended together and what 
the pastor had shared was that it was amazing because God had grafted Kate into our family's tree and how special that was and what a wonderful tree she was being grafted into, which meant so much to us because that tree was almost chopped to the ground, but the roots were strong and the winds blew and the storms came. Diabetes came, celiac came, my mom dying came. Doug's wall was always there trying to push this tree over and if there came and it was the mother of all storms but the roots of the tree were sound and even though everything tried to push that thing over it didn't it held through the storms and then God grafted to it yet another branch and it was such a beautiful baby dedication and so when he said that there was a grafted apple tree yeah, in the just... corner of my yard, I had just had to stop because it was a miraculous sign that God says, guess what, the favor you asked for, yeah, I've been working on it, and that meeting that you're about to have, you're good. Like, I've already <laughs> spoken to their hearts. Yeah. Just wait and see how it all unfolds. Yeah. And just in case you're worried about it still, there's one more part because Bill goes, and you know what's funny about that one is they usually only graft one more tree into it, but actually that one is three it is is two grafts to the main tree, so it's three grafted together. And our family is Doug and Josh grafted to our family and then Kate grafted to that. So we two are our a family three. of three graft you know, of three grafted three together. Branches, yeah. yeah. And so it was like, got it, you know, and I'm just like barely able to like keep the tears back and really wasn't even keeping the tears back. I was just trying to not completely start bawling in front of him. We went in, we sat down at their table, we explained our situation and we, we asked them to do this for us. And the wife said, you know, I just have to tell you that I was here I had, I had to come back the day of the open house to get something. And I was here and I saw you and I saw your daughters here. And I said to myself, I want them to buy this house that very day. And when we got the offers and I, I could tell that one was you, that was the one I wanted to pick. Mm. And then her father said, you know, your husband looks familiar to me. Like, how do I know your husband? And we're trying different ways he might have known him. And it turns out that he knew a family from Columbine High School that had lost their son. And Doug had worked with them and supported that family following the death of their son. And that's how he knew my my husband. So by the time we were making that connection and she was telling her story, the owner of the house said, let's regroup here. And he said, Let's just all agree you're getting this house. (sighs) Now we just have to figure out how because this is supposed to be your house. Like everybody at this table, do we all know that? And even the realtors were nodding their heads. So long story short, we figured it all out. They did allow us to rent the house just as we promised the the day that we were cleared, the title company – got all the paperwork together, and within two, three days of the time that we could close on the loan, we did. And we still live in that house today. 
and I've sat under the shade of that tree many times and looked up through those branches and just seen God cover everything. That When I sit under that tree, it's that moment that I go, he just says, I've got it all. Like, I just cover, I've got it all covered. You're in the shelter of my blessing, and I've got you. And this tree, to see Kate climbing in it, to be picking the apples from it, to be sharing the the fruits of that tree with our friends and our family mean that we're going on being the family that God promised me, sitting on a floor with nothing but broken pieces. That story wasn't a book. That, that story was a painting. And in that painting, I didn't have any idea what he was making. It was abstract. It had all, it, it at times just looked like a big hairy mess, right? You couldn't make sense of it. Right. Couldn't see what he was making. But it's a painting of a tree. It's my tree. It's the tree that sits in my backyard. And that is a reminder that our family has deep roots and we have God on our side and that he wants to remind me anytime I'm scared, anytime I don't know what we're going to do or how things are going to work out, that there, I have a tree. I don't have, I can't Velcro that one to me, but it sits there as big as it is, as strong as it is, as real as it is. It tells me I've got this. I guess you kind of did it again. All I know is that we are in God's blessing. Yes. And covered by his shelter. Yep. What comes with it is that then an ordinary person walks in our house and says, it's a cute, simple, modest house. But to me, it's a miracle. So is it success? To somebody who's trying to add things up with dollars and cents and and gold and jewels, we'll say, mm, it's a simple house, not all that impressive. But to me... It has a pool. <laughs> and it does have a pool. <laughs> and it is quite wonderful. But it's not, it's not simple or fancy. It's a miracle. It is... When you asked at the beginning... What my life is? Is it what? What are your two words that you ask? Oh, ex- that spectrum between yeah. extraordinary and right. ordinary. Right. Another person would look at my house and say it's ordinary, or maybe even look at my life today and say it's ordinary. You're a wife. You have a job. You drive a minivan. You have kids and a dog. But I know it's extraordinary, and my home is not simple. It's extraordinary. That, I think, is the perfect punctuation for the story of the tree. I think so, too. Thank you for telling us. You're welcome. And for sharing all of that. You're welcome. With us. So when Stephanie was with us the first time, we did not finish with the questionnaire that James Lipton uses at the end of Inside the Actor's Studio because we knew she was coming back. (laughs) But since that's my favorite interview show, yeah, we'll close with Bernard Pivot's questionnaire. Okay. So, Stephanie, what's your favorite word? Oh, boy. I'm just going off my gut. But I'll say enough. Oh, that's a great choice. 
especially based on our conversation. Mm-hmm. What's your least favorite word? My least favorite word is okay or all right, because that is the word that my children use when I ask them to do something and they go, all right. And all right actually means shut up. And if you get down to it, <laughs> they just want me to stop talking. If you're reading between so the that, lines. Yeah, so that they can get out of it, so they can get off to something else and forget what I asked them for. Okay or all right just means shut up, and I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> no, you're not going to take it. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? I look for these things in my life where I see God. I look for them all the time. I think that's why I'm aware of them. It's because I'm looking. Mm-hmm. So I look for him working in things. I try to see his hands. What turns you off? <sighs> what turns me off is, it's two things. It's people that decide that God's to blame for something and they won't do the work of wrestling with him to get to the bottom of that to settle that once and for all. I I could respect someone if they said they've had their time where they've wrestled with God and they've fought it out. They've said everything they can say. They've done everything and they've seen it from God's perspective and they just completely disagree and they've walked away. But it's those that won't bravely go in there and like wrestle him. Like to the point that either... He breaks or you break. Mm-hmm. And that you can say it's finished. Like, I either know he's there or I know he isn't. But I'm done saying that I'm just not going to talk to him. I just, that's, that's the one that bothers me the most. You said there was two. Yeah. Do you remember the other, what the second one yeah, was? Yeah, the other one is just the judgment of thinking that from the outside we can assess people's relationships with God, that we can look at them and that those that talk the talk and are there all the time and um, do certain things, oh, they must really have, they're really close to God. And other people who seem to be wrestling or struggling, they're falling away or they um, just haven't, they're, they're, they're young in their faith when actually we don't know that. We don't know where they're at in their spiritual journey. We don't know what has them at that place. And so that judgment that from the outside we can assess that really bothers me. Because, again, we're we're deciding from the outside what something is, just like people from the outside of my house would decide it's simple when, in fact, it's extraordinary. So until you know know my story, you wouldn't know why it's extraordinary. And so when we look at people and we just think from what we can see that we can assess, we don't know them. And we don't have the right to define that for them. Nor should we entertain ourselves that way. Because really, at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're we're trying to determine, are we worse or better than them? Yeah. And... I don't want to live that way, and I don't, and I, and I don't like feeling like I, I get measured like that because you just feel the footprints of people climbing over you to elevate themselves mm. when you feel that, mm-hmm. and I just, I, I, it just really bothers me. Yeah, what a picture! That footprints analogy will stick with me. 
feels a little odd asking you this after <laughs> the answer that you just gave based on what turns you off, but what's your favorite curse word? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, my fa- now I was not allowed to curse when I was a child. Yeah. Um, that was soap, you know, if oh, I yeah. did that. And I will say that um, cussing became something that was a- actually necessary uh, through this journey to the apple tree. Um, there was a lot of deep anger that um, getting that out with a few curse words was therapeutic. <laughs> and better to put it into that than to let it fester and become something else outwardly yeah. down the road. So my children would say, I don't think any of my children have ever heard me had ever heard me cuss until those days. Uh, but I will actually go back to a childhood one that was a curse word to me and actually did get me in trouble sometimes. And it was holy shnikes. You're kidding. I absolutely love that word. And um, yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Laughter. And sound or noise that you hate? Silence. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I, you know what it is? I always dreamed of being a referee in the NFL. Really? Yes. Cool. So I would have loved that. I like it. Yeah. That's a great answer. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, an accountant. I, I hate dealing with, with money and being responsible for telling people the bottom line and managing budgets. That, oh, no way. Nightmare. Nightmare. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? My treasure's home. Thank you so much for your time with us and for sharing all your stories. We're really lucky because we got a couple. Yeah. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears and we couldn't do that without you please remember that all of the opinions ideas information and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker and while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's jess, J-E-S-S, dot alliknow at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us here at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>